0: like that. Way to go. I'm uh, totally fired up about that. We have a we have a bunch of kids all going to Sri Lanka. this summer, And it's a really cool story. Last year we sent out and trained up the the young couple that ended up leading the church in Sri Lanka. They've not had full-time leadership in quite a while. It's an older church but it was an older church that had dwindled down over the last maybe eight, ten years down to about 20, 22 people and uh, anyway we sent out a young couple a couple other people got inspired They, they went as well just to get over there and stay as long as they could as long as you know work visas are difficult in a lot of different countries but in the last eight months since they've been there uh a church that had only had maybe a baptism in the last three years in the in the last eight months they have baptized 22 people and restored three others. Wow. The church has gone wow. from 22 to 54, and now there's like a line of people wanting to wanting to get there and go and, and join and be part of that. So it's been yeah, it's been it's been really encouraging. Um, they they were the 50th people to in, in the last uh, nine years. The 50th, 49 and 50. That that young couple that went over there. Um, to be uh, sent out into full-time ministry by the Hampton Roads church. And we're not like a a super large church, but people just don't want to stay where we are and they just keep going. And, uh, and, and and off they go. And and, and, they, you know, for example, the shanks were in Hampton Roads and uh, ended up going out to Toledo to go lead the church there. Uh, they'll soon be taking on a bigger responsibility. And so we've uh, raised up another young couple that's working secularly. They're going to go lead the Toledo church in, in the next few months. Uh, we've got kind of leaders leaving it, uh, next month as well to go lead the, the churches of Maryland. Um, so the march keeps going. We're, we yeah. sent out nine last year into full-time ministry. Uh, it'll be somewhere between six and, and eight. And we're sending out the Akron planting as well this, uh, this summer. So uh, a lot of goodbye parties, for sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, but but it's, it, it's all glorious. So amen for that. Hey, right now, we're going we're gonna to have kind of a little less presentation and try to encourage a bit more dialogue as we finish this last session. This last session is, let's look at our past for a little bit. And I don't have such a, let's say, rich history in our past as, say, Tom or Doug does, because I'm a bit more abnormally born. I came around in the 90s. They came around in the 70s. So good, good bit more past for them. Uh, But a lot of my past is maybe a bit more relevant in some ways to what it is that affects you today. And, you know, how did all of a sudden our ministries change from what they looked like from 95 to 2005? Right. And then how did they changed from 2005 to 2015? Because each of those decades have actually been monumental in the way that we've shifted as a body of Christ and as a fellowship. Uh, a couple of scriptures, though, just to frame this for us a little bit. Look with me uh, over in Ephesians 4. Ephesus is still a relatively younger church at this point in time. It did grow to be a church of over 10,000. It was the church where the Apostle John ended up. It's the the, uh, church where Mary, the mother of Jesus, ended up. So it was a a rather significant place. But even in its its, uh, younger phase, it says here in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I'm in Ephesians 4.11. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'll pause for a second. God's will for the church is that as we look at our history, it should be one where we look at us growing up and growing up and becoming stronger and more mature, more discerning, like almost the, the way they put it here is almost like looking at Jesus who grew in stature and wisdom. And, and here, we as the body of Christ, likewise, using the same words that Luke used of the growing of Christ, using the same words that we likewise are growing into the very mature manhood to the full measure of the stature of Jesus. Uh, Verse 17, now I say this in the, uh, I'm sorry, in, in verse 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And Ephesians a great chapter, it all speaks of looking back and then looking forward as the church continues to grow. But there are also other passages that are a bit sobering on how we might kind of view the progress of the church. And one of the great books of warning for us is Judges. Mm-hmm. And before I read Judges, remember what Paul also wrote to the Corinthian church when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 that everything that was written... About these guys that we're about to read in the Old Covenant, they were written why? Yeah. So that they would be warning lessons for us, yeah. and and also to recognize that that no temptation that, that we've set is but what is common to man. Mm-hmm. But God's going to provide a way out. He will be faithful. Yeah. Uh, yet we have got to stay wary of that. But but look at what it is that they faced in John uh, in Judges two. It says in verse. Uh, 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders, who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heras, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, and this is the ominous line from the book of Judges that sets the stage for the rest of the book, after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't know of the stories of being led by the cloud in the desert. They didn't know of the despair of oppression of bricks without straw. They didn't know of the great deliverance and the refreshing times that came when the angel of the Lord beat down the one great superpower on earth so that a bunch of slaves would be able to escape into freedom through the Red Sea and ultimately to enter into the promised land just as God had promised. And they didn't even know of going into the promised land and having God promise to them that they would go in and whomp and stomp down those giants and take their fortified cities and make it the nation of Israel. They didn't even know all of that. But yet, here they are now trying to go off of previous generations' experiences of faith to try and keep that going themselves. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what we see in the book of Judges, which is our warning now, is basically a roller coaster of love. Times are high, things are going great. Ah, God, shmod, whatever. And, and, and then they, they, they sink into despair, and God gives them over to their apathy, and takes away his protection, and the neighboring nations come on in and oppress Israel. Ultimately, what do they do? I'm sorry, help me, I'm sorry, help me. And God then comes to his rescue, raises up a judge. They're delivered, and once delivered, God hoping that they would be grateful out of the grace that he has given to them. Instead, they grow entitled grow apathetic, and so the cycle repeats itself. Uh, lather, rinse, repeat, lather, rinse, repeat, um, all, all throughout the book of Judges. So with, with all of that as the backdrop of God's people, we got to be wary, even as we look at some of our, our recent uh, movement. So here in, in the um, International Churches of Christ, we've got such an amazing and rich history. Uh, Modern-day church historians who have looked at what we went through in two thousand two, three, and four, have marveled that we came through that and we're still one united fellowship as tight as we are today. But so many who have, in a sense, uh, consulted with us and counseled with us have, have all basically said, you're the only group we've ever seen be able to do this. Wow. Now, with, with that in mind, take heart because we have definitely been refined as a movement throughout the the, the past twenty years, oh, yeah. and you know the first ten years, you know if, if we look at the kind of the seventy-five to to to, to eighty-five time frame, you know that was I think just glory after glory, right? I mean, Tom just walks onto a campus and a hundred people line up to get baptized, uh, and, and they do it year after year after year. I mean, oh my goodness, how cool is that? Praise God. Uh, for, for all that, that goes on and all of that, even as, as that expands off of the campuses and then into the countries, uh, again, you know, Andy Fleming walks into Moscow and, you know, 850 people, they get baptized. Wow. Who, who isn't kind of, you know, living in high cotton and loving life during all of that? But what, one of the things is, is when things are going so well, um, you, you don't begin to kind of notice if there are any kind of chinks in the armor because you're just so consumed with saving the world, and praise God for that. And and so it may not always be as obvious to us, but we we had this amazing time that we came to real organization as a movement at the greatest tectonic shift in modern-day history. There have basically been three main kind of eras of of history that that would be the pre-modern era, the modern era, and the post-modern era. And postmodernism, for the most part, is identified as that period of time, somewhere around 1969 to 1992, that that shift occurred to what you now only know as postmodernism. I grew up a little bit before some of that, so I, in my mindset, I think, I think in logical propositions. Uh, but, but people that have grown up in postmodernism, that's not exactly the way that you think. But there are amazing and wonderful things that occurred in the midst of the postmodern era. Now, most notably... (laughs) Is that me? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, okay. But most notably, (laughs) during that period of time, again, and think about this. We're a well-organized movement during this period of time. 89, 90, 91, 92. What's the, the biggest event in all of that? That's right. Lithuania getting its freedom from the Soviet Union but oh no for me it is my 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 family my mom came from Lithuania I'm a first-generation American and uh, and amen for the fall of the Soviet Union Um, but but in 92 when Lithuania played Russia in the medal round of of the uh, Olympics in Barcelona Lithuania amen thank you thank you thank you uh, anyway uh, but it was it was like a, a golden moment in history the soviet union fell the berlin wall came down the internet basically came into existence economies exploded Tiananmen Square brought about a complete shift in all of Asia. Apartheid went down in South Africa. Amazing times. All the cry, I even have goosebumps because I remember that night in 1991, sitting in my basement, crying tears of joy, listening to the radio broadcasts, hearing about the fall of the Soviet Union, And how so many of my relatives were guerrilla warriors fighting for for revolution in Lithuania of of finally to be able to realize freedom during all of that. A real heady time for, for, for everyone. Amazing times for all of that. And all through it all, we were killing it as the body of Christ. And everything, I mean, the first major league integrated church in Johannesburg, the explosion. of a a great alternative to real Christianity throughout the Soviet Union. The inroads even into the underground churches in China, the amazing uh, expansion in Hong Kong. I mean, you you pick it, we were there. We were like the Forrest Gump of churches. You know, every great event that was was occurring, there we were. And it was only exciting during all of that time. Now, and it was right on the heels of that that that, that I was baptized and, and came into the movement But we were kind of flush with so much success at that time that then as I came in in 93, right after all of these events, it it wasn't kind of as quick of a pace. And so we then began to think about, well, how can we kind of systematize all this success that we've been experiencing? And it may have just been that God just put us at the right place at the right time. He did arrange times and places. But what happened is we then kind of started to come to a place of, let's call it, thesis. You know, going back to my my, my old uh, example that we had. And that place of thesis, we got probably tagged rather um, broadly with becoming a bit on the side of being man-centered, saved by works, uniformity in what we did, and every sermon needs to spell crank somehow or another. Didn't matter what you're preaching on, that was a message about evangelism. So work it in one, one way or another. Now, this is uh, hyperbole. It really is. This is hyperbole. This could, in a general sense, be a way to kind of character, caricaturize the, the church, but it was not my experience. You know, in 1993, in the Dallas church, 1995, in the Washington, D.C. church, during, during that time, as I was just coming of age as a young disciple, you know, for me, the, I, I didn't sense anything man-centered. For me, I finally saw Jesus. Yeah. For, for me, if you, if you would say, oh, that, that minister that you were under, he was so man-centered, I, I mean, I those are fighting words. He showed me Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he didn't show me him. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But in broad strokes, yes, there, there, there were ways in which we, we started to get into this place. Uh, saved by works? I never would have thought that in a second. But 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 there are some that kind of look at it with a bit more of a jaundice eye and think, yeah, there were elements of that. So again, you, you've got to Got to recognize this was not the majority by, by any stretch. But because it was the case in some places, and it wasn't like roundly, like beat back down into the ground, you, you could say that it was tolerated to a greater degree than it perhaps should have been. And, and it was that, around this time, 96, 20 years ago, next month is when I went into the ministry. And so it is, it's right around this time that, that, yeah, I guess you could say that in, in some ways we, we did have this kind of, the uh, ability to stay unified, stay productive, and also be super effective by kind of leaning a bit on, on this system as, as we had it into place. And as this began to wear thin, because you're gonna get tired if this is the way that you're going about things, but as it began to wear thin, um, a good, good buddy of mine, who, who actually was in Hampton Roads with me in 2000, 2001, um, Henry Crete, uh began to kind of wax poetic about a lot of the things that, that were annoying him with with all of this and um he uh ended up writing a letter in 2002 you you probably heard of the henry Creed letter of sorts right and uh um, and you know and in it he really did try to serve the role of a prophet to to bring to life you know what it was that he that he saw there and many people doug had an advanced copy of that letter i had an advanced copy and, and and we did say to him, you know what, I think you're right on the money with this, but you know where you're not right on the money? Is the way that you're uh, proposing that we solve the issues. Uh, the proposal in the letter was kind of, hey, let's just kind of drop a bomb and see what happens. Uh, versus, you know, Matthew 18 really does show us that there's a process, that if one sins against another, that we really do need to be really deliberate about that process. Let's, let's not throw out what what you've recognized in the letter but let's take it and bring it to bear in a way that is just as godly as the sentiment is behind the observations of the letter that didn't happen in a lot of churches In a lot of churches it really just did become kind of a a chaotic pandemonium in many places it was unfortunate because as a result of that the pendulum swang the other way and what was kind of a cohesive well-organized group of disciples excited about saving the rest of the world. Uh, all of a sudden, the support, everything that was going on throughout Africa, Asia, South America, it all crumbled. The people who got hurt the worst were all the missionaries. Yeah. I mean, I mean, 90% of all had to, had to find other jobs, come home, left those churches in the lurch. R- really difficult time through, throughout all of this. But, again, you would hope that the reproof of, a, of an observation like that would have maybe brought us back to, to uh, Plum. But it didn't. Uh, Instead, we went the other way, and you'd hope that going from man-centered, we'd go to God-centered, but we didn't. We really didn't. We went from man-centered to self-centered. And that uh, instead it became cause to be suspicious of men. It became an open door for all of us, even myself, to become more selfish than than I really had been. Before, all of my life was for the common good. But it opened that door where I was like, no, you know what? I need to understand my boundaries better. I need to understand about taking care of me and being careful about things like that. It, it really emboldened that sort of an entitlement attitude during this period of time. Again, not everywhere, of course, but it opened the door. And, and we saw that really began to expand. Uh, again, rather than being saved by works, it almost felt more like we were saved from works.
1: Uh,
0: and things like... <laughs> Evangelism really became a, a difficult word to say publicly because I had to preach it many, many times from, from you know, kind of the, the early uh, 2000s. Uh, and all of a sudden, as again, this pendulum to the left, let's call that 95 to, to 2002, pendulum to the right, that would be 2003, uh, mo- moving on to who knows how long in many cases, but to say evangelism or discipling Oh my goodness, you would think by saying discipling is really one of the things that is going to help our church. You would think that that I just invoked the devil, in some cases, of the recoil of of people's reactions in in some different cases along the way there. Uh, Again, not always, and not everyone, uh, for for the most part, the majority of people appreciated healthy discipling, just as you appreciate it now. You love growing. You love having people that, that, that guide you. You love when it goes well. Of course, when it goes poorly, you're not so happy about those those very things. When I have a chance some other time, nobody that I know really, I think, got as hurt as I did during that period of time. I lost everything because of of, of odd, really odd, odd leadership. And and I do mean everything, everything in my life, uh, like family dearest you, you you pick it uh, all of its in a moving van leaving all, all because of what what really did happen but again everybody can have different responses to that you can kind of shake your fist at the um the foolishness of that leadership or you can realize all right bad on them uh, i'm gonna pray that there's gonna be repentance and i'm gonna work towards that but i'm not gonna stop going for it for jesus either this is the body of christ or it's not and, and, and if I'm going to believe that it's the body of Christ, I'm going to uh, appreciate that that leadership is going to get sorted out. Yeah. But if it's not, holy moly, what am I here for? Yeah. So, amen, we, we are the, the arms and legs of Jesus, so let's go be the arms and legs of Jesus, uh, as really, I hope, been the attitude that I've taken all along. Um, the, also, uniformity rather than unity was the kind of the call of the hour then. So much so that... Like in the study series, it it used to be in the 80s and 90s that you were actually kind of observed in how you did the study series. And if you didn't ask the the questions just the right way or go from Scripture to Scripture just the right way, then there would be a little bit of correction that would go on because there was a real push to try to get everybody to study the Bible just the same way, uh, to structure your church, do many things that, that occurred, even the order of worship, all of those things just the same way and it was uniformity Um, this would be maybe foreign concepts to you in many cases now we now we may uh, train people to study the Bible and if if there's an effective way amen uh, for the way that you have it but I don't know any two churches that actually study the Bible the same way Mm -hmm. overall we go for the same thing right it's it's kind of the good old three-act play you're called by Jesus you realize through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you need grace and ultimately, you get that grace. It happens in baptism, through the work of, uh, of Jesus, the blood of Christ. You get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you're incorporated into the church. It's the same thing everywhere. That, that actually doesn't change at all. Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. I mean, a, amen for, for all of that. that. That occurs everywhere, but now it doesn't occur because of uniformity. Uh, we'll get to where we are now, though. But this individualism also gave rose gave rise during this time to individualism at the personal level, but at the church level, it really did give rise to autonomy. Autonomy to a way that would have shocked us probably 20 years ago. And that if our 20-year-ago self walked into the kettle of frogs on the, on the burner right now, we, we would be like, oh, my goodness. I mean, you got brothers and sisters all around you. In other churches, and what's going on with being able to help them, support them, encourage one another, be really linked together, so that together we are so much stronger than we would be if we're just a bunch of individual churches trying to make our own way along the way. There, we now um, are no longer, let's say, a um, a structured organization. Right? It's not like I, I actually lead one of the thirty-four geographic regions uh, that we have as our churches. So I oversee twenty-four churches, but as a, as a region leader, or as a chairman of the, of the ACR region of churches, 24 churches, I'm not some sort of a kingmaker. I don't, I don't say, you know what? I like your style, young man. I like the cut of your gym. You know what? You're going to lead the Toledo church. Forget about that other couple. You're in place there. All right. It's not, none of my wildest dreams could I ever do something like that. I don't have the authority. I don't have the gumption. Uh, nor is it the system but but we do work together really really closely now we've got to figure out what that interdependence looks like because autonomy and individualism sure isn't going to win the world for jesus christ but do we want to go back to me being able to kind of move you move you i don't want that who knows what kind of mess i'd end up in if even that sort of authority existed and i ended up being the guy at the time uh, that that was the chairman w- when something like that went on um, And then and then you say well, what's so bad about grace sermons? Well, if if, if it's you choosing w- What it is that we're going to preach all the time and and you are, are the one that is pushing your own agenda It's it's still you yeah. before it was you with crank now It's you with with another agenda and who knows what else it could be but but nonetheless it still has proven to be your agenda rather than just simply the agenda of the Bible itself. And, but here's the exciting thing is, I believe we have gone through the, the thesis side of the pendulum, right? The part that's swaying over here. And for sure, we have swung away from that. And we have learned from that. And, and, and I know that we're not heading back in that direction. We've swung over to that side, and we've also kind of walked around in those shoes for a little bit and recognized what that was like. And realize the the, the real, uh, how, how anemic that that can be. But now, here's what's exciting, is even as you are coming up in the Lord right now, the pendulum is coming into synthesis. And it's, again, a beautiful time. It's an amazing time. And we've got massive amounts of young Christians all being baptized into the faith. Armies of people with zeal, without the baggage of all the pendulum swings right we fought those battles we've shed the blood in all those cases you get to kind of sing hallelujah that we're coming into the synthesis era of all of this right now and and also keep aware of of those because the pendulum never kind of just and you'd be all good i'm glad we're synthesis we'll just stay here now forever yeah that would be nice i'm sure you know tom and mike fonteneau and albert and all those guys thought that that would be the case too after they made it through all the travails of the traditional church of christ Oh, good, now we're here. I guess we'll just stay here for a while. No, there, there's always going to be difficulties as we really strive to be the body of Christ. So as much as you can kind of learn the lessons from our past, amen. But, but here's, here's where, we're, where we're coming to. This is plumb. This is what it looks like. God-centered, saved not by works, saved not for work, not from works, but saved for works. In other words, we're not saved by works so no one can boast, but we are God's workmanship created in him to do good works, Ephesians 4, uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. Not uniformity and not individualism, but real unity. Nobody says that we need to be together. Nobody told North River that you need to include all these people and have some sort of a, a group uh, a C- CTP right now. No, nobody's out there up on high writing out an edict who has direct reports all over the world Telling them that, okay, you become a training center, you become a training Nobody's doing that. This is just organic unity that we're all experiencing right now. And by organic, I do mean Holy Spirit-driven unity that, that we get to experience right now. And then um, finally, it, rather than let, let it be about you know, this idea or that idea, it is interesting that all over the place there's a renewed respect for the Word of God. Uh, and to, to really make sure that we're not preaching anything that the Bible doesn't say. When I was a young guy, you know, taking classes and learning about uh, expository preaching and all that, all those guys before us, we unfortunately would be like, well, oh, guess he didn't take expository preaching. I guess he didn't take biblical thanks to Jesus. Yeah. Because you'd see all the kind of almost the crazy mistakes all made for the good of evangelism. You know, taking a passage and massaging it any which way you could, all for the sake of evangelism. No, nobody does that now. Now because we just trust the scriptures and we trust that the, the word of God is powerful enough to be able to win the day and to bring the church to greatest maturity and to best equip the church for what it is. I mean, these are all amazing trends that are happening on our watch. Unheard of. There's a book that was written, oh, I don't know, maybe about, about 15 years ago called Historical Drift. And it was a study of movement after movement. And you, you pick it. The Methodist movement did not look like the thing that it is today. You know, Right now, the Methodist movement is meeting. 7.4 million US members, 12, 12.5 uh, worldwide members. In the US, they're losing 50,000 members a year. And right now, 110 clergy just came out before their convention, came out to, sh- to, to say to the rest of the, uh, of the congregants at the convention that they are gay and they want to push to have gay clergy throughout the Methodist church. They already practice gay marriage and many other things, but, but they, they've back from that. Now, if you know anything about the Wesleyan movement and the Methodist movement and the holiness movement, you know that this is not what the Methodist movement looked like not too long ago. How did they get there? So this book studied all these movements of how they've come to a place where they basically no longer look at all like they were. Now, here's the encouraging part whenever they came up against situations like these massive pendulum swings that we've, we've met up with, they failed and every single time they went to the left. They went liberal. They, they went uh, from, from deep doctrinal conviction to just embracing what it is that the world says. If there's one thing that we've gotta learn as we go through the next perhaps travail of pendulum swings is that we, we don't ever solve it. By going left, we don't ever solve it by, by removing the deep doctrinal convictions that really need to be ours. Uh, there'll be pressure to do it again and again and again, but nonetheless, we keep the, the Word of God really paramount through, through all of this. You guys are going to be the ones that will be guarding the gospel and, and the caretakers of the fellowship and the ones dreaming about the continued maturity of the body of Christ. And you may not even remember this 20 years from now when you're giving the same speech to other people, mm-hmm. but you will be the ones. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think to, to recognize that you fight for much, and, and the biggest fight I think that we have right now before us is the fight to make sure that we don't go the way of autonomy. Mm-hmm. That is so easy to occur because it's everything that an individualistic society will promote. So how is it that you, you make sure that we don't go the way of autonomy? Is that you have very intense, close relationships, right. one with another. Yeah. And by the way, those relationships don't come over having a Frappuccino together at Starbucks. Right. You know how they come? They come because you decide for two years to go to Bogota together. You decide because this whole section here decides that you know what, it's, it, it's time. I know it's cold, but Calgary needs a church. Let's go. Let's all go buy. Go to the REI store. Load up. North Face looks good on me. Off we go. And, and, and we're we're gonna we're gonna supplement the Calgary church for the next three years and and go for it. I didn't want to just say warm weather places because you all be like, oh yeah, I could do that. Uh, but when it's cold weather, you're like, oh wait a minute, do I really love Jesus? <laughs> but. Why is it that our movement survived all those swings? Because right now, all the people that are holding it together, they were persecuted together. They planted churches around the world together. They didn't just go on mission trips together. And, and a lot of you will, will go on a lot of mission trips. It's actually going to require more than that. So let these mission trips, even this summer, be a taste of of what it is that that you plan to do for extended periods of time in your life. Because that's going to be the only way that we can maintain real interdependence without having to swing the pendulum back and have some sort of direct reporting structure to try to force the the unity upon us. Uh, But... If, if all if we are afraid of the pain afraid of the persecution afraid of the sacrifice then we'll never know the depth of bonds that come from having a hundred times as much and with them persecutions that, that it really is to, to really be a disciple it's it's that kind of foxhole bonding that that has all of kind of the, the current generation of leaders that man we're we're together forever yeah. my, my goodness if if you need somebody you know, over there in Cincinnati, you've got them. My goodness, brother, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take care of that. I mean, that's, that's the attitude right now. But in 10, 15 years from now, those type of relationships no longer exist. You are the hope of making sure they do exist. And it's only going to come by you completely no longer living for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again. Do you know what I mean? That means you put self to death and you live your life for christ and that means wherever whenever however that you really do do that not just for the sake of unity but for the sake of jesus for the sake of the mission for the sake of those that still need to know jesus and along the way god will bless us with the unity as as a result of us all being bonded to, to that very degree so and i'm gonna i'm gonna just kind of uh, stop it right here for a moment let me just open it up to any questions that we, we we might have, and I don't know how much time we have at this point. Is it 15 minutes? Is that right? It's 4.45? Yeah, 15 yeah. is great. Okay, so uh, any, even if it's on the earlier stuff, on pulling off the solemn assembly, or even you know maybe what it is that, that um, uh, we, we have learned or should learn as we move forward. Yeah?
1: So this is a subject that's very close to my heart, I think, because I've seen both swings of the pendulum in the ministry that I'm from. I'm from Amsterdam. And so currently we are very much far to the left, to self-centered, safe from works. And so I think my question is, like, especially because I'm going home next week and I'll be there for, like, a month and a half. Yeah. And I guess my question is, like, how do you... Especially because, you know, I'm a woman. And I don't know, like, how do you, like, gracefully... I don't know kind of put that, like, hello, this is a thing. Somebody do something. I don't know, yeah, I don't know sure. what to do. So. Now, it
0: is interesting that throughout 2005, 7 8 9 all, all that pretty time, most of our churches were there and had to fight out of that.
1: Right. And, and we're still there.
0: So. Right. But I, a lot of churches are still there. Many churches did go through, some, like when I mentioned the solemn assemblies. Most of the churches went through solemn assemblies or corporate repentance because of the, the antithesis side of the pendulum swing that they, they even recognize at some point. All right, we're here, but I don't know if anybody has the strength of will to, to really get us out of here. I think it's only going to happen if we all do it together, you know, some way or another. I, I mean, the, the best thing you can do is maybe to offer that, oh my goodness, I mean, I've tasted and seen that it was good. Right. I mean, call North River. Have somebody come in. Have fresh eyes come in. Let, let them come in and, and be able to see and maybe give some suggestions. Let them kind of prompt you along the, the, the way for you know bringing about corporate repentance and all of that. But I think to try to encourage them to have fresh eyes. Years ago, um, we used to kind of be in one another's churches a lot more and ministers used to move around a lot more. And so we would have fresh eyes as the minister. We'd almost serve the role as the prophet. My, my first... Four years of ministry, I moved every six months, actually. uh, for Yeah, I moved five times in those first two and a half years. Every time, six months. Toting along, little kids, I mean, all of that. So, yeah, it was. But I also had fresh eyes. I didn't become acclimated, and and we were able to be used to be able to help. Right now, most of us have been in one place for a really long period of time. From 2002 until 2000 now, uh, if anybody's (laughs) still over an antithesis uh, stage right now, they've probably been there and have been fully acclimated, they need somebody. So, I, you know what? I'm sure Tom would love to jump on a plane, get over to Amsterdam, and, you know, have a Heineken and enjoy a, a weekend of, of, of helping them to know. Uh, but here, here's what's encouraging about this. It doesn't have to be someone as savvy or as seasoned as, as Tom and Kelly. Anybody with outside eyes is more valuable than any of us.
1: You'll hear that. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know if the 23 year
0: old is the best bet for whoever it is that needs to listen. But anybody with outside eyes is, is incredibly more valuable. They don't have the emotional connection and, and they also are not acclimated. So, yeah, in the back. Earlier you talked about defining a, a healthy culture. Once it is defined or once you do have a song assembly, what are the things that reinforce and strengthen That's an awesome point. That's Spiritual cool. disciplines. Spiritual discipline, and that's often a big part of the Renewed Covenant. And in those spiritual disciplines, you need to look at communal disciplines. In a family, it's things like dates with the kids, uh, uh, family nights, family devos. All of those things are kind of a bulwark. In and of themselves, they can't do anything. But what they do do is they put you as a family in a place where the Holy Spirit has more access to you. If you're going to have a night where you're just all randomly running off to different sports leagues, Holy Spirit's not really working on your family. But if you have a night where you've all come together in a communal discipline of a family devo, suddenly you have put yourself as a family in a place where the Holy Spirit has an all-access pass to be able to shape you. That's at the family level. You can do the same thing at the church level, which is why midweeks after a, a, a solemn assembly end up being that much more valuable because people realize, "Aha!" We're not just going to be community by accident we need to come together we need times like midweeks we need to make sure that our bible talks are happening much more frequently we need discipling we need disciple groups we need and and suddenly when people realize we're not just having midweeks to control you we're having midweeks to be able to practice community to, to actually be able to rebuild what it is to be a community again we're not a virtual community we're the body of christ so anyway all of those things then become spiritual disciplines of community. Uh, uh, All the way in the back, over there.
1: Right. How can can we help as children to help our community to to, to swing back more to to, a mutual thing away from the bitterness in that kind of way? Sure, I mean, there can
0: be no bitter root. Let no no bitterness be among you. Forgive as Christ the Lord forgave you. Uh, Ephesians 4 29 to 32. I mean, all of that is is, is super important. And, again, it's not like it's impossible to be able to forgive and to come back. I mean, you and I can talk offline, but as I mentioned, I went through a pretty serious ringer. And not everybody has to end up kind of with their arms folded, checked out, with regard to the church itself. It's just as easy to recognize, wow, that was a bit jacked up there. Uh, and, but, but I get it. People, people have bad seasons of life. But we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. This is sacred. This is not just social. And let's, let, let's get back to building again, all for the sake of the, of the gospel of Jesus. Um, but, but I think just keep, keep sharing that. Well, I think sharing about we, we do need to, to, to forgive. We cannot let any bitterness be the case. And by the way, none of it's warranted right now either because what, what has resulted is a synthesis that is really a special time and place for us to be able to be engaged as the body of Christ. And praise God that we're all here. I mean, I pinch myself all the time. Like, I can't believe I get to be in the church at such a special time as this, as we're coming together ready to blast off. And blasting off we are already it's uh, such a great time. So, let me, uh, yes, right okay. there. know yeah, that's that's really i mean it's so hard when you're the child trying to do it one of the things that is always helpful as good advice for you as a child to a parent is to use the scriptures in 1 peter five is it um where it talks about a uh, an unbelieving spouse to a wife because just as a wife has submission to a, a husband and here this husband is an unbeliever you then see some principles that you can put into practice for example win him over without words win him over by the, a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, by the purity and reverence of, of, of your life. But, but I think, in general, that, that is what, what you've got to do. You've got to win them over with humility, sharing about quiet times, how they've impacted you, sharing about um, how, how it is that, that you've grown from what it is that you've seen, but not, like, look at me, I'm so awesome, grown, but, wow, this is where I've been, and this is what has happened. This is where our Bible talk was. Not so great, but you know what? We, we, we were so impacted by, by what it is that we learned here, and I, I think we're really making great strides from all of that. But for any kid who's you know, trying to help a parent, use the, those principles at the end of, of 1 Peter of a wife trying to win over an unbelieving husband. It's a, it's a similar dynamic. It's the closest thing that we have to a dynamic like that for kids to parents in, in, in the Bible. Uh, yes, right there.
1: From 1994. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> it is. Like, every article is from 1994. Exactly. so it's very, I guess, what do you do about that, because that turns a lot of people to sit there see things like, oh, this website, like, this is this, or, like, different things. Sure. Or, well, I mean, I, I had okay. to try to reapply yeah, yeah, yeah. after being yeah, kicked yeah, yeah. off
1: and
0: of. Can you repeat the question? Oh, oh. Uh, she she, she uh, evangelizes people on campus. She says that she's probably the most evangelistic person on her campus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. <laughs> <laughs> And, and as a result, she's you know, having a lot of conversations with people. But as soon as, as they are impacted by her spirituality, they then, they then go on to the Internet and uh, look up Church of Christ, North River, whatever it is your church is. And, and then all the junk starts coming up. So anyway, I had to, I got kicked off twice uh, from ODU, Old Dominion University. While i on my watch, uh, we got kicked off twice. We actually got back on one more time. And, and it basically was just by telling this story. And we, did. We, we told this whole story to them. And, and, and they realized, like, oh, these are reasonable people. They see where they've made mistakes. They see how they're being shaped and, and changed along the way there. Um, and actually, to, to be able to be very clear about the whole story was pretty helpful to them. And ultimately, they, they actually brought us back onto campus. And we, we continue to be part of that. We're part of the Chaplains Association at ODU. And, and that did help. Uh, back there. Well, I just want to say thanks for your lesson today.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You were talking about the letter,
1: um, and how it was addressing issues that needed to be addressed, but the solutions and kind of just the way about it was wrong.
0: Sure. More. Let's say process. The process right. was yeah. was wrong. Yeah. So if you, I, I guess, if you have um things that you see that are concerning or if you have issues,
1: what are like as an yeah
0: I, I do believe that it's a a good climate now for that but but as a uh, a region chairman i do work with 24 other church leaders and i am often called in because we have some younger church leaders in some cases that uh, like like for example this young man that i just appointed um who,
1: but but anyway I,
0: but we do have some young church leaders who are not very secure and in one case this one guy was about to disfellowship like the third person in 18 months oh i mean God. even in our large church of 800 the last time we disfellowship somebody i think was i don't know like 12 years ago and that was my brother so it was but <laughs> he's back all's good <laughs> but, <laughs>
1: but,
0: but but anyway but in that case, people were trying to come to him because he was insecure as a leader. He was like, well, oh, it sounds like you're opposing my leadership. And, and all of a sudden, these phrases would come out, and they realized, uh-oh, this is not going well. And, you know, in, in that case, there needs to be, like, I don't know if you're in a big church, a small church, how it works, but I think for sure, first line is always go, go right to them with, with humble, deference, humility, all of that. 99 times out of 100. That works well. You got a good, you got a secure leader. They love that. That's gold to them, that you're pointing out something. And it ought to be. And if it's not gold to them, shame on them, really. Because they don't get that much feedback, right? I don't, as a church leader, I don't get tons of pushback. I really don't. I got people that are trying to encourage and and, and keep me built up, all of that. So that when somebody comes to me and says, you know what? What in the world were you thinking? And and, and as, as they're talking to me, I really am thinking to myself, oh, this is gold. This is gold. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That somebody's pushing back. I, I need to be refined by this. Help me to get... So anyway, it, it, again, 99 is the time. That is what goes on. But in, in the, those terrible cases where it doesn't, and, and let's say you're in a bigger church, well, then you do need to try to it, it, help have other people come in to help you in that situation. If you're in a smaller church, then that's why it's so critical to have an interdependency of our churches, not autonomy of these churches. Because if it's autonomous, you've got nowhere to go. And, and and that guy's gonna be like, shut up! I don't have to talk to you. I'm gonna deal with my guy the way I want, right? And then you and then it's all kinds of messed up. So that, that's a, a really big reason why we make. But you want to make sure that you you have um, humility as you go, but then also other people that you know um, can can be able to pro- provide help along the way. Uh, yes. Um, I think it's more of like the the emotional aspect of it. I don't have any emotions. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, my, like, my parents are similar to, you know, a lot of people my parents have been in the church for a lot longer, um, and so, like, my mom was on a board, my uncle was, like, on a board when the letter came out, and so I was eight, and so there'll be something people say, like, we're going to go for this direction, or we're going to get this, like, style of leadership, and I'm thinking to myself, great, this is awesome, let's do it. It feels like we're getting momentum, and I look over, and my dad's, like, sitting there cringing. The um, so I just don't know how to address that kind of emotional attachment they have to certain styles of leadership. Um, so tell me what the two different styles of leadership are. You say we're gonna go this way, that way. I don't know what that means. Well, just like with the pendulum? like one style would be like, you know, crank sermons versus grace sermons. Sure, let's hope it's something in between those two. <laughs> um, but in general, human nature and sarks or flesh, does not like strong leadership. In, in our flesh, we shy, I mean, we'd rather have Aaron than Moses. But look what happens with that.
1: But God invented leadership,
0: and God invented strong leadership. And, and, and as long as we have humble, godly, strong leadership, we should rejoice that that is the way that, that the church has been arranged by, by God. And, and we shouldn't be trying to undermine that. As unpopular as that is, in a postmodern culture where you know it's egalitarianism, and shouldn't everybody kind of rotate into being the leader of the church for a day? Uh, and but it, it, it's it's not the design that, that God has, as we look at all of His examples of leadership through the Bible. Uh, and we're it's probably always good to have at the ready a good study to show that again, godly leadership does actually provide a stronger leadership than we would be comfortable with. I, I find myself being anti-authoritarian. I find myself wanting to say, I'm going to stick it to the man. But then I realize wait a minute. I became the man. Like, what in the world? How did this happen? But like even, you know, even as an older guy that, that you know, is in, in a, a position of responsibility, I still have that deep inside of me. I don't even know who the man is anymore, but I'm going to rage against that machine. But, but oh, it's me, I guess, at some point, but I don't think of it that, that way. But we all have that, every one of us, no matter where we are. So we've got to all then keep reminding ourselves, what does godly leadership really look like when we actually see person examples of it in the Bible? And and that might be, it's going to, to be from the Bible to be able to help. It's not arguing from, from history or anything like that. We're going to have to be able to show it from the Bible. We take one last question, I guess, is it's five o'clock. Yes. Yeah. Well, for one thing, you're you can wait 17 years until you're in that position to be able to more easily affect it or is to, you know, kind of use the, the, the little example I gave you from from the Welsh revival is that in your small group where you can actually really make a difference is is to decide that, hey, you know, to really rally that circle of influence that you have. Right. We all have a circle of concern, but we also have within that a circle of influence. And at some point we just gotta get practical. Yes, I'm concerned about the evangelist subcommittee and the way that the delegates are voting for those members right now. Are you gonna do anything about that? Honestly, no. But can you start with your your circle of influence? You gotta start there and and really help that to be a place of revival, help that to be a a place of, of of real you know corporate repentance and just un unshackled just excitement filled with the Spirit, making a difference for the sake of Jesus, loving without bounds, and, and going for it. And by the way, the, the circle of concern will begin to notice that. Yeah. And suddenly that circle of influence begins to expand to, to be able to fill that circle of concern. But you've got to start where, where you can start and trust that the, the Holy Spirit, as you're aligning with Him, will, 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 will do that right thing. Yeah, so, amen. Yeah. That's it's all nice. i got. Yeah. All right.